Somebody tell me real quickly, the five great lakes. Okay. Ontario is one of them. Erie is one. Pura. See, go on with that old mind. It's still sharp. <laughs> now, what's the deepest one? Superior. Superior. Oh. Hey. What's the coldest one? No, superior. <laughs> the, the only reason I know I was looking them up. <laughs> now, how deep is the foundation for Trump International Towers and Hotels in Chicago? How deep is the foundation? for the Trump building in Chicago. Hey, see, I had to look it up too. Hey, 1,032 feet. 1,032 feet. Boy, that's some ways down. just about as high as the building is. Oftentimes, the issue for our faith is this, is how deep or what's the depth of our faith in the confidence of our faithfulness of God. How deep is your trust in the faithfulness of God. First off, you have to ask the question, is God really faithful? Is God really faithful? And if he's really faithful, what's the depth of my trust in his faithfulness? Is it two inches? Is it a foot? Is it a yard? What is it? Because out of the depth of your believing in the faithfulness of God will come the actions of your faith. Remember this. For whatever you're going to build above ground oftentimes has to be greater beneath the ground in order to hold it. And whatever is going to be expressed in you by faith has to be greater inside than what is being demonstrated on the outside. Oftentimes, you and I, we're challenged by this thing of faith and the clarity of it. The depth of our confidence in God and God's faithfulness. And if I really, truly am determined that God is faithful and I'm going to depend on his faithfulness, that will outline my life. My faith in my God outlines my life. 
It says what basically I'm going to try to attempt or to achieve in life. Oftentimes, we set goals for ourselves and we want to do certain things. And that's all good. But remember this. Human beings have the potential to be successful by themselves. God did give us, as we say, a brain that we are to use. God did give us certain gifts and talents that we are to use. But oftentimes what we miss is this. Whatever you achieved in the flesh, you could have did ten times greater in the spirit. But it's the releasing and turning over yourself to God and to what God wants to do in your life. Your dependence or your confidence in God will determine how you live. You teach yourself to depend upon God. That's something you have to teach yourself. You have to be willing to teach yourself to depend upon God. How do you do that? You do that by asking him to help you. When I used to go on a job, Mr. Jennings, when I worked for Jennings Heating and Air Conditioning, especially on a new job, you had so much time to lay that job out. That means you had to go in, you had to cut all the Heat runs and return air runs in. You had a certain amount of time to do that. You had a certain amount of time to set that furnace down in the basement, have it ready to go. You had a certain amount of time when that ductwork came out from the shop to install that ductwork in that house and have it completed. Because his bid was based on your hours or his hours that it would take to install that. So a lot of times I would have to go home and eat and then go back to the job and not get paid for it to be able to keep up. Because when you bid a job very closely, it was my responsibility as the installer to make sure I was getting that thing in within the amount of hours that he had bidded that job for or I wasn't going to have a job. And there's a lot of times out on that job, I would pray, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Be running duck work, put my chains up. They were your helpers. You put a chain on this beam and on this beam, and you put your duck work, and your duck work will rest between your chain while you're making your connection. And sometimes some of those connections just didn't want to go right. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Or the shop figured one thing, but that's not what's happening out in the field. And it has to be said, Lord, help me. And when the drywaller would go ahead and drywall before I ran my thermostat wire, now I'm trying to drop a thermostat drill, drill a hole in the bottom. I'm trying to find that wire in the wall to pull it on down through. Lord, help me. While I was working at Chrysler, a lot of times they would ask, would you design a guard for this machine? It would be a new die that set in. But my job then was to come up with a guard for that machine where nobody would lose their finger or lose a hand or get hurt. 
but yet it also had to stay out of the way of the material being kicked out. Lord, show me how to design this. Lord, show me how to do this. And it got to a place over in the dye room. They would call me over to the dye room quite often to ask me, Gus, do you think we can run a chute or a safety guard on this thing before we set it out there? And we would get our heads together. Lord, help me to design, because I'd never seen this thing. And the strange part about it was this. A lot of the engineers who were supposed to be designing it up in the plant area, they wouldn't design it until after somebody made it. (laughs) It's that area of constantly learning and teaching yourself how to depend upon God. To depend upon God. And you're asking him for the simplest things in life. I used to ask God, God, give me work when I was running my own heating and air conditioning. Lord, give me work, give me work, give me work. I had two other guys working for me. Norman and Sweeney. Norman stops by every now and then. He, he didn't retire from sheet metal off. But I used to ask, Lord, give me work. Give me work. Bless me with work, Lord. The whole process is dependency upon God. We're dependent upon God. It is, if you really believe in God over your life, that he is really over your life, you will continually live for him. You'll continually be beseeching him that he might have his way in your life. He'll direct you. Turn to Colossians 1, Colossians 2, I'm sorry, Colossians 2. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, let me get there, get these glasses adjusted again. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. To live in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith. Strengthened. In the faith. Rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith. As you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. You are taught to exercise faith. And when you are taught to exercise faith, you build confidence in the Lord. If you're not exercising faith, you're not going to have confidence in God. If you're not stepping out in things of faith, you're not going to have confidence in God. Faith is something you have to build, and in building it, you're building it upon a person called Jesus Christ. And every time you step out because he commands it, and you're trusting him, and you're believing him, it explodes your faith. And your confidence in him goes up. That he is more than able. If you will have patience to wait on God and not be anxious about anything, God will give you the best of everything. If you will not be anxious 
And, and Satan of time will cause us to be anxious. And when we become anxious, we're going to run ahead of God. But if we'll just wait upon the Lord, he'll give us his very best. He'll give it to us. And that we learn how to be content, no matter what our circumstances are. That I'm content. That I'm at peace. Well, I deserve better. I want better. And I want it right now. Can you sing the joys of the Lord in the midst of your discomforts? When you don't have the best or you don't have what you think you should have, can you be content and still sing the praises of the Lord? See, Peter and Paul both learned that while sitting in jail, they could sing the praises of God. And if that's where God wanted them to be at in jail, they were content. And guess what they did? They witnessed. Because life wasn't over. And they saw that God just put them there to be a witness. I take it every time I go in the hospital now that Whoever's in that room with me, God put me there to witness to him. Remember the one Caucasian gentleman that was coming and witnessed to him? And I still have his letter at home. Gus, you'll never know what you did in my life. Even though he committed suicide. And his wife called and we were able to just talk about the Lord. God had a purpose in that. Last time I was in the hospital, this gentleman in the hospital, boy, things he was saying to the nurse, you could tell that he was off. They had him in the wrong area. He should have been up in behavior science. <laughs> and after talking to the head nurse, she finally came in and she asked me, have you seen any strange behavior? Yes. <laughs> Y'all have him in the wrong place and he needs some medication and he needs this and he needs that. And they finally moved him out. <laughs> But I got to witness to him and just share with him that God loves him. Wherever God has you, can you be content? And can you serve him? There is this foolish confidence in God that he will meet all of our needs. Do you ever sound foolish when you're talking about the Lord to others? It's okay sometimes to sound foolish. What you understand is this. They don't understand the God that you serve. So when you're speaking, as far as they're concerned, you're speaking foolishly. I'll never forget one time when I was working, and this is before I became a pastor, but I was working in this uh, so-called temple of the Muslim brothers, and I was doing some heat ducts for their ovens and so forth, for their fish cooking and, and their pies and so forth. And the thing is, is this here. I was sharing with the one brother, you know, the Lord didn't need all this. He fed the 5,000 <laughs> out of a little boy's lunch. And the man started telling him, how foolish that is. You really believe that stuff? Yes. And when we speak about our Lord Jesus Christ, there's times we're going to be foolish. And Paul said, I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. 
In 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, where we're going to somewhere camp at and take a good look at Paul, because Paul's confidence in the Lord is what I want to paint a picture of. That when Paul says that he has entrusted to Christ, the question is, what has he entrusted? And what Paul is doing, he's entrusting his life into the hands of God. He's entrusted his life, his very keeping, into the hands of God. Have you entrusted your life and all that you are into the hands of God? Have you entrusted? I remember one time I was in Vietnam and uh, they always said a, a tracer will hypnotize you. A tracer is every fifth round is a fiery bright red and you can see it coming. And I'll never forget, in a firefight, I was standing up. And I did see this thing coming. And it hit just above my head in a tree. Then I had enough sense to get down. <laughs> but it did, in a sense, hypnotize. And the eyes caught it. And that bullet... You hear the impact. And there's something about hearing the impact of a bullet and you never heard it. The thing is this here. If you put your eyes on Jesus, he'll hypnotize you. Where all the other things, in a sense, don't bother you. He'll catch your full attention where the other things don't bother you. And that's what Paul says. My eyes are so fixed on Jesus that all the other things in life really didn't bother me. Go to 2 Timothy with me. Pick up in verse 8. Listen to what Paul says from 8 down to 12. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Look what he invites Timothy to do. And he invites us also. It's an invitation. He says, but join with me in suffering. Join with me. Join with me. Now, a lot of us want to join the Lord for the blessings, but we don't want to join the Lord for what? For the suffering. And understand something about God's preparation for you in life. Usually when God is preparing you for something, you're going to suffer something in that time of preparation. And if you're not willing to go through the suffering, you'll never pass the test for the preparation time for what he's preparing you for. And Paul simply says, join with me in the suffering for the gospel. Now you're not suffering because of your own desires, per se, or the things that you want, per se. And a lot of times we'll suffer for the things what? We want. Now, I remember one time my daughter, she wrote me a nice little letter and uh, the letter in it was that she was uh, uh, willing to take whatever punishment it was going to be that she was going to go do this 
And uh, she went and did it. And I had no problem giving out the punishment either. And I wanted you to suffer. And I, she knew I wanted her to suffer. Hey. And, and the whole process, I'll never forget. She told me, go and kill me. And I said, and I, and I yelled, I'm trying. <laughs> hey. And the whole thing, he said, that you suffer for the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake. How many of you willing to really suffer for the gospel's sake? What are you doing that is causes you to be discomfortable about the gospel? That's taking you out of your norm, taking you out of where you're comfortable at. And he says that you're willing to suffer for the gospel's sake. But look what he says here. Join with me in suffering for the gospel's sake. He don't ask you to use your power. But by the power of God who has saved you. That God equips you. God gives you the ability to suffer and to go through whatever he's asking you to go through. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing? And he goes a little further and he says, who have saved us. Now catch the word and circle it here. Underline and do something. Has called us to a holy life. Catch that. God didn't only save you, but he called you to a holy life. Now, a lot of us today, we don't know what that is. To live holy. Holy is one of those words, consecrated. That we are consecrated. What is to be consecrated? It is a recognition that you're going to live differently. That there's something different about you. Now, the thing about the temple, when they set out all the things about the temple, they consecrated them, or they made these things holy. What was holy about a fork, or a knife, or this thing, or this poker, or that poker? It was just simply this here. It's set to the side for the use of God. And when God says he saved you and made you holy, a life that is holy, without a life that is holy, God can't use you. So we have a lot of Christians that really can't be used because they're not willing to live how? Holy. Not that they're not saved. They're not usable. It's the same thing that happens in corporations. A lot of people work for large corporations, but they just fill space. Because the reality is this here. They never get involved intellectually with the corporation to make the corporation better. They're just there to get a what? A paycheck. And eventually, the corporation finds out and says, I can let you go. <laughs> Why? You're not really bringing any assets into the corporation. You're not really helping the corporation. You're not really something valuable to us. And what God is looking for, even among his people, those who are valuable to his call of spreading the gospel and living it out. And he says, you live a holy life. And when you choose to live a holy life because you've been called to that, God says, I've consecrated you for my use. To be used. To be used. I was talking to one of the young men up there. His, his goal is to play football. And my question to him, how far can you see down the field? 
And I asked him this, what does it mean to be hit by the blind side? He said, because you can't see to the left or to the right. You can only see. So you get hit from the blind side. And you, those hits are pretty hard because you're not expecting it. You don't really see it coming. And I said, you know something? Now, if you ask God to help you, guess what he gives you? He gives you the ability to see to the right and the left without really having to turn to it. God helps you in so many ways. He can help you. And the whole process is asking him, getting him involved in your life. And you're the one who got to get him involved. He wants to be involved, but you're the one who got to get him involved. You're the one who has to ask him to be a part of your life. He, he's called you. He saved you. But look at the second step. That you live holy. That's a choice that who has to make now? You and I have to make. In order to be used by him. And oftentimes we ask ourselves, why don't I hear the Lord? Why isn't that I'm not being used of the Lord? Why isn't the Lord doing something in my life that I can see? Or I ask yourself this question. Are you living holy? He moves a little further from that. And we're going to climax all this in that verse 12. Called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. And God recognized, you and I can't live that life in and of ourselves. It's something that God has to work out. Now understand, Paul again now is inviting Timothy to, enjo- to come into this life of suffering, into this life with the Lord Jesus Christ for the cause of the gospel and not to be ashamed of it. He goes on a little further. He says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose. Underline that. God's purpose for who? For your life, for how you live. God's purpose. And grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it is now being revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has become life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed. What are you appointed to? When God saved you, what are you appointed to? The moment a company hires you, they usually will give you a title or set you in a place where you know this is what you are what? Are to do. It says that for every Christian, the Holy Spirit gives them a gift. And that gift is to be used in the body of Christ. To for what purpose? To further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift is not for you to show off. The gift is not for you to just use and say, look at me. That gift is to be used in the lives of other people that Christ might be celebrated. That Christ might be known. And he says, I was appointed. He says, I was appointed to be a, a herald, an apostle, a teacher. I'm appointed for that. I'm appointed. How many of you are running away from your appointments? 
because you don't want to do it. It's not comfortable for you. You don't see yourself doing that. My question to you is this. Have you went back and even asked God, God, you want me to do this? And he says, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Now into the crutch of what Paul says in verse 12. That is why. This is why. This is why. This is why. Why what? This is why I am suffering for Christ. That is why I'm suffering as I am. This is why I am suffering. I am yet, I am not ashamed. Yet I am not ashamed of what I'm suffering for. How many of you are ashamed to live out a Christian life in front of your friends? How many of you are ashamed to say that, no, I can't do that because it's not right to do? How many of you are ashamed in front of your peers to say, no, I don't drink. Not that I can't drink. I choose not to drink because of the damage of what I see it does in the world. I have liberty to do anything that I want to do. But all the things that I do may not be beneficial. And for me to get drunk, that's not beneficial. That doesn't bless me. That doesn't bless you. For me to be seeing somebody else other than just my wife, that's not a blessing. That's not beneficial. Oh, do I have the liberty or the freedom to do it? Yes. Because Christ says, I have the freedom to do all things. I can go do it. The question is, is it really, really beneficial to my life or to the glory of Christ? Is it really beneficial? And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the suffering for Jesus. But he puts it all on the line. He lays it all out there. How many of you have put everything you possess, everything at the feet of Jesus? And have said, Lord, you command me. Lord, you direct me. Lord, you use it however you want to use it. And you even put your own life down there. And you say, Lord, you use me. However you want to use me. Paul is convinced and Paul has the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. In that confidence that he has for Christ, he's willing to lose everything. How much are you willing to lose of your possessions, of your titles, of your positions for the glory of Christ? What is it that you're willing to lose? And sometimes we have to lose quite a bit in order to really walk with the Lord. Turn to Philippians 3. Go back to Philippians 3. And go to verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 8. 
Paul simply says, What is more, I consider everything lost compared to this surpassing greatness of knowledge. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom's sake I have lost all things. And I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What is more in birthday? I consider everything a loss. What do you consider a loss? What is it that you'll give up that will be a loss for the cause of Christ? What would you walk away from that would be a a loss to you for the cause of Christ? Would you walk away from a great career for the glory of Christ? Some athletes have done that. A young lady who comes here, she walked away from a nice modeling career for the glory of Christ. And God has blessed her tremendously. The whole process is this here. What are you willing to leave that Christ can elevate you? Because oftentimes we're trying to elevate ourselves or build ourselves. And some things we need to walk away from. And if we walk away from it, God will elevate us. God will lift us up. The thing is, are we willing to count them as loss for the glory of God? And Paul says, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the suffering, to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. What would you give up just to know Christ? To have a deeper relationship with Christ. What are you willing to lose? What are you willing to forego that you can have a much greater relationship with him? Go to 2 Corinthians 11. Look at Paul's life a little bit. 2 Corinthians 11. Pick up with me in verse 22 through 29. This is what Paul gave up. And sometimes we don't understand giving up. For an African-American young man who went through the area of learning a skill and then working at Chrysler and and the kind of money, Roscoe, no, we we made pretty good money at Chrysler, didn't we, Roscoe? And uh, to be a skilled tradesman and, and to walk away from that money. Boy. And sometimes God calls us to walk away from things. And those are hard decisions. And even to go to an area, the school that I went to, that the Lord placed me at, sometimes I even asked him, Lord, why here? Because I was the only African-American on campus. And a lot of times, the only African-American sitting in the classroom. And I remember one time challenging my professor, and I asked him, Pastor Silva, why don't you come out to an African-American church and hear how African-Americans preach. You're teaching me one style of preaching, but there's also another style. I remember going through counseling, family counseling, and I finally asked the professor, I said, I want to ask you a question. Could you go to the bank and just on your signature get a loan? 
there's a lot of things culturally sometimes others face differently than other cultures. And the whole process was to bring in another culture. Here's Paul, he says in that verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? Now, in each one of those questions, do you realize that there was those who no longer thought of Paul as a Hebrew? There was those who thought of Christ no longer as an Israelite because he now followed Jesus Christ? And you need to understand sometimes, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you really try to live for Christ, people are not going to see you for who you are. And they won't accept you because now you're trying to be something else. And it takes you out of their graces, but you're in the grace of God. He moves a little further, he says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen. His own folks didn't like him. And when you really live for Christ, sometimes your own folks try to get you to take a side, and there is no side but the side of Jesus Christ and him alone. Period. And Paul says, I suffered all this for the cause of Christ. I went through all this because of Christ. What are you going through because of Christ? What are you suffering because of Christ? What have you given up for the cause of Christ? What have you lost for the cause of Christ? What is it? What is it? I believe my son today lives on the blessings of him making the choice when he was playing football that he would not practice. And first it was my rule. On Wednesday, you would not practice football. That was prayer meeting night, and we're going to church. And first, there was an argument about it. And I just finally told him, you got a choice. You can practice football four nights a week, or the three nights a week, play on Friday. But on Wednesday, you're going to church. Well, the coach's not going to let me. So I went up and I talked to the coach. I told the coach, in my house, there's a simple little rule. We go to church on Wednesday night. And Gus is going to be at church, not football practice. 
Well, he needed to practice with I said, sir, that's your rule. But your rule will not impose upon my house. Now, if you say he can't play football, that's up to you. I just have to find some other place where he can play. He said, okay, okay, you, you go ahead. So on Wednesday night, Gus didn't practice. I think today in life, Gus is still being blessed because on Wednesday night, Gus gets to prayer meeting. When he's offered overtime, he won't take it sometimes because especially on Wednesday. Now he'll do it Monday and Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, but Wednesday he don't want no overtime. The only time he's going to really miss prayer meeting if he's held over in court, which he can't really miss, that he has to be in court with the people that he represents that's on his list. But other than that, Gus is on Wednesday night. There is something that is a blessing that when we are willing to give up something for Christ, that Christ blesses us in life. It's amazing. It's amazing. And with all my kids, we did that. When they worked, went down to McDonald's, told the manager, they can't work from this time on Sunday because they're going to be on church Sunday morning, but they can be at work by 1 o'clock. By 1 o'clock. That's just the rule. There's things we instill that our kids learn, and then they learn how to practice those things. But they have to start somewhere. Paul had to teach himself. Paul had to be willing to give up certain things. And Paul learned that. And in learning it, his confidence in Christ grew. And therefore, Paul comes to that point. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Why? It's the way of life. So in Romans 16, he understands the gospel. It's the power of God unto the Jews and the Gentiles. It's a power that takes place in our lives that only God is able to give. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that he understands that when he embraces it, God empowers him. It's something that he's not ashamed of. Turn to 1 Peter 4. That's where I want to go, First Peter. First Peter four. One and two. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Arm yourself. In other words, be aware, be ready. Because the suffering's going to be there. Arm yourself with it. Be ready with it. With the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with what? With sin. It's an identification of dying to self. That when you're willing to let things go, when you're willing to take a loss, when you're willing to miss out on this, that boy, God bless. A little personal story about myself with another Christian friend. I put $5,000 into a person's hands because he was investing for this Christian company. And uh, we knew each other. And boy, 
he turned that $5,000 into $18,000. Boy, and I was just jumping up and down, you know. But he stole it from me. And I knew his wife before they ever got married. I never pressed charges. Never went after him. But when we, sometime when we see each other, he can't really face me. But in return, I may have lost here, but God has blessed in so many other ways. Because God had to use that to teach him something, even at my loss. But God was teaching him. And God sometimes with your loss will be teaching somebody else. And sometimes we don't want to lose what? We don't want to lose a thing. And we don't want to let go. But if we understand this, it's not mine anyhow. I'm just a steward. It doesn't hurt. But if it's mine, it hurts. But if it's his, he's responsible. And somehow he oversees it. And he brings about the correction. And Paul says, boy, that person who suffers has died to self. Because if self wouldn't have died, I may be in jail. (laughs) If self wouldn't have died, there have been some words between us that, boy, we both would have been maybe hurt by them. If self wouldn't have died, God wouldn't have been able to bless. And, and, he, and he says, boy, who has suffered in the body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. But rather, catch that and circle your last part, for the will of God. We live for the will of God. And Paul has that built in. That he's going to live for the will of God. And he has the confidence that God is able to keep his life no matter what circumstance he finds himself in. That God's able to keep him. That God is able to rescue him. That God is able to deliver him. And therefore, Paul is able to go to that next part of that statement. He's able to say it with full confidence when he says, Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. I know. Do you know? Do you know who you're really trusting in? Do you know who you believe in? Do you really know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you experience Jesus? Do you know his presence? Do you know his voice? Do you have confidence in him? Understand this. 
Some people you get to know, you get to know that you can't what? You can't trust them. The better you get to know some folks, the less confidence you have in them. With Jesus, the more you get to know him, the more you trust him. The more you get to know him, the more confidence you have in him. The more you get to know him, the more you want him into your life and involved in your life. And Paul says, I know whom I believed in. I know. Do you really know? Do you know that he's your savior? Do you know that he's able to deliver you? Do you know that he can rescue you? Do you know that he can bless you? Do you know that he can add to any part of your life? Do you know his power? Do you really know him? And that's what Paul's talking about. I know. And that's what brings the confidence. The better you know somebody, the more confidence you have in them. Faith, she's not here today, but Faith for years was a cheerleader, and she, she loved cheering, and she started off with the little football groups and went to Firestone and cheerleading and so forth. I mean, she enjoyed cheering. Then she went to Liberty University, and she tried out for the cheerleading thing, and boy, she made it. But she quit. <laughs> and the reason she quit, because there they, they had those towers that they would build, and then you had to tumble off. And she saw one of the men who was supposed to do the catching missed or dropped a young lady. And the young lady wound up in the hospital. And that ended Faith's cheerleading career. Because she lost the confidence in the one who was going to have to do what? Catch. And when you lose confidence, you quit. When you lose confidence, you withdraw. When you lose confidence, you stop performing. But when you have confidence, you go at it 100%. Totally different. And Paul says, I'm confident in Jesus. And he goes at this spiritual life a hundred percent. He gives it all because he has confidence in the one in whom he believes. How fast are you moving? Fifty percent? Seventy percent? Eighty percent? Or are you giving Christ a hundred percent? What is it? What are you holding back? Because whatever you're holding back, it's because of your lack of confidence in the one that you believe. And he says, boy, I know in whom I believe. In Hebrews, 11, in Hebrews 12, 2, it talks about him being the author of my salvation. Paul knows him as the author of his salvation. He knows him as the one who is able to keep him. He knows him in a very personal way. He knows him as the truth. He knows that when Jesus speaks, he only speaks truth. He knows him as the blesser, the one in whom he can count on blessing his life no matter what's going on. Paul is one of those guys who could have said, over here, 
I was making a very good living as a Hebrew of a Hebrew, as a Pharisee. I had it made. I had servants. I had people waiting on me. I had people at my baking call. And then I accepted Jesus Christ. And all I got is people who want to stone me. But Paul says, I count all that loss for the knowledge of Christ. And I know that he's able to provide whatever I have need of. And Paul experienced it. To know Jesus is to know what he can do on your behalf. To know Jesus is to know what he's able to do on your behalf. Somebody called this morning and they said, Pastor, I just need prayer. And they just had surgery. And they said, would you pray for me? And my question was, do you believe that God's able to heal you? That God's able to touch your body? And it came back in the affirmative, yes. And we prayed the blood of Christ over that area of the body. And, and, and we told God, we believe that we are healed by your stripes. Not only spiritually, but also physically. That we are healed by your stripes. And in the atonement, we receive all the blessings of God through the atonement of Christ. For he has paid it all that I might receive all from God. What's your confidence level when it comes to God? Do you know what he can do in your life? Do you seek what he can do in your life? And what is it that you desire him to do? And whatever it is that you desire him to do, start praying about it. Start asking God to reveal himself, show himself, show himself mighty. Ask God to be the one who intercedes on your behalf. Ask God to give you favor. Ask God to open the door. And also ask him to shut the doors that he don't want you to walk through. Ask God to give you the people around you who will assist you and guide you and help build you up. Ask God for that. I'll share with the young folks. I praise God for a Cecil Inman. I praise God for a Stan Myers and Myers Industry. I praise God for Vern Sir Lewis and Sir Lewis Insurance. I praise God for Dutch Kirkhoff. I praise God for Fred Jennings. I praise God for different men that he sent into my life to help build me up to walk by faith. Ask God to send people into your life that would help you not to be ashamed of him and to know the power of his gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. Understand something. He can deliver you. He can deliver you no matter what's going on. And Paul understood that. Turn to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 18. After all Paul's friends had left him. And this will happen to every one of us. And sometimes God takes the friends out of your life. For that you learn even more to depend upon God. See, Roger and Barb, don't y'all go telling them this either. 
Roger and Barb, boy, they like Barb said, boy, I'm going to miss cooking for you. Because a lot of times, boy, I go over there and get a little quick snack real quick before dinner time or something. You know? or, but, but me and Roger, we did so many things together. And as James says, your right hand's gone. I'm the left hand. Well, the left hand's learning how to be the right hand. <laughs> but, you know, God may have moved Roger out of my life that I might learn how to depend more upon God than Roger. God may have moved him out of my life to even bring others into my life. The thing is this here. Listen to Paul. Go to verse 16 with me. Let's start there. Paul said, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Where's all my friends? Where's all the people supposed to help me? Where's all the people supposed to stand up and talk for me? Who's all the people supposed to give testimony of what I've done in their life? And Paul said, nobody came to help me. So where's all these friends? But everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue who? Your best of friend won't be there when you really need him. Your best of friend won't be there maybe in the midnight hour of your life. Your best of friend will eventually say at the hospital, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Your best of friend will say, well, at this point, I don't have it to loan it to you either. I would if I had it. Your best of friend cannot always be there to meet your need. But Jesus, he's there. Continuously, he's there. And Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. God will do it. God will do it. 2 Peter 2.9 2 Peter 2.9. Because he knows how to deliver the godly out of the hands of the, un, of the ungodly. He knows how to keep us. 2 Corinthians 2.9. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from the trial. Now he's talking about Lot earlier on and knowing them and so forth. And he said, if this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. And Paul says, I know in whom I have believed and I put my life into his hands against that day. When that day of judgment comes, I know I'm safe. Why? I'm in Christ Jesus. And God's wrath is not appointed unto me. Why? I'm in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because I'm covered by the blood of Christ. Why? Because I've been purchased with the price of who? The life of Jesus Christ. I'm secure in Christ. I know in whom I have believed. 
I know. Do you know? Do you really know who you believe in? Who you're trusting in? Who can deliver you? Who can rescue you? Who's able to keep you? Do you really know? And understand this. Paul says, I know him. And one of the reasons I know him is through the experiences. And when you reach, we don't have time to go to, to, to Matthew 14. And, and you hear Peter saying to Jesus, bid me to come. Bid me to come. People understand one of the ways in which your confidence grow in God is that you ask him, bid me to step out. Step out in what? In faith. And, and Peter had to step out in faith. Peter knew it was impossible for man to walk on water. But what God often calls his children to do is to walk in areas of impossibilities. That when man says this cannot be done, and man uses all his logic, man uses all his facts, and man gives you all his reasons why this shouldn't be and this shouldn't happen and this cannot happen, God says, come. But when God says, come, the issue is this. Will I step out? Will I step out? And when I step out, you know, what scripture gives us about Peter when he steps out of the boat, that he's walking, but then it begins to talk about he looked at the storm, he began in the sink. What he, scripture doesn't tell us is this is the joy that took place for Peter himself to take one or two steps on water without doing what? The joy of that. Could you imagine Peter? I'm walking on water. I'm walking on water. Hey, you guys in the boat, look at me. I'm walking on water. And the thing is this here. The confidence. Now understand this sometimes about our confidence. It can go and what? Come. But we're always building on it. Boy, God gave me the victory in here. And boy, I got great confidence. Then I go into the valley where I have semi confidence. <laughs> that their trouble come, don't they? And it's strange. After every great victory in life, what usually follows? After every great success, what comes alone? Boy, trouble! <laughs> and my confidence has to start all over. God, you're going to get me out of this. God, you're going to lead me through this. God, you're going to have victory in this. God, we're going to overcome this. And it allows you to build that confidence in the one in whom you believe. And if you don't believe in him, you have no confidence in him. And if you believe in him and you don't walk by faith because the scripture says we are a people who are called to walk by faith, not by sight, you're not going to have any confidence in him. If you're a person as a Christian that can only walk by what you figure out and what you see, you will not have any confidence in God. For it is in confidence that your faith is exercised. 
It's in confidence that you say, my God is able. It's in confidence that you're able to believe God to achieve what he's going to achieve in your life through you. It's in the confidence of God that he's able to do it. Turn with me real quick and we get ready to close to Isaiah 50 and look at verse 7 with me. Why don't you look at just two or three more verses and then we're gone. Isaiah 50. Because here comes part of that confidence building. Isaiah 50, verse 7. He says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me. Boy, I like that. Because the sovereign Lord helps me. Because Paul said, though I was out there in the ocean for a day and a half, God helped me. Though I experienced three shipwrecks, God helped me. Though I was stranded on an island and bit by a serpent, God helped me. Though I was in prison, God helped me. Though I took the beatings, God helped me. The sovereign Lord will help you in every area of life. He will help you. He says, the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced or put to shame. Therefore have I set my face like flint. And I know, look at the confidence again. And I know I will not be put to shame. I know that. As a Christian, as a Christian young man, a Christian young woman, how many of you really have the confidence? You will not be put to shame in front of your peers. Though they may laugh at you at the moment, you will not be put to shame. Because you stand up for Christ. I will not be put to shame. Why? Because of the one who is helping me. The one who is helping me. Turn to John 4. The woman at the well. Listen to what those who hear later on. How they respond. Because there's this part here now. That God reveals himself. And that God is speaking to them. And they begin to recognize it. In John 4, 41 through 42, he simply says, And because of his words, many more became believers. Jesus had uh, uh, spoken to this woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And boy, she goes back to the town. She's telling everybody. And they urge him to come and spend a couple of days with them. And he does. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. I want to pause there for a moment. In your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, some people are going to say, well, Pastor, you're walking on thin water now. No, I don't think I am. This is always my foundation. This is always my basis. Okay. But because I believe this and I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and this cannot tell me everything about God, and the word itself tells me that in John 20 and 21, that Jesus Christ is so much more. 
all the books of the world. There wouldn't be enough space in the world that it was all written about him. But the Holy Spirit that is in me continues to teach me. And as I begin to experience Jesus Christ, it becomes more than what the book explains. It becomes more than what I hear from my teachers. He becomes embellished and much more larger as I really get to know him. As I really get to know him. And they said, boy. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Why? I'm hearing from who now? Jesus himself. Jesus himself. And they go on and say, we have heard for ourselves. And that's the area sometime in the area of growth in Christians. They have to hear for themselves the spirit of God speaking to them. We've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Look at the difference of their confidence change. No longer just by what the woman said. But now, because they're experiencing Jesus there in their midst, it's much more. Much, much more. Much more. And when you experience Jesus, and there's a time that you need to get along and just you and the Lord, and you experience him just for yourself. Not about what the pastor said. Not about what the teacher said. Not about so much what the word says. But that you are in his presence experiencing him. Last verse, 1 John, because here again now, Paul's confidence. 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 14. And they would end up with Timothy again. He says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. And Paul knows that. That his salvation is in Christ Jesus. No other. Is your salvation anchored in Christ and no other? Is your salvation anchored in Jesus Christ, not in the things that you do, but in Christ alone? Is your salvation anchored there? Because that's your motivation for everything you do in life, is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. And he says, and this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Write these things to you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Know. Paul says, I know in whom I believe. And the scripture is saying that you are to know him. You are to know him. So that you may know that you have eternal life. You're not guessing about it. 
You're not in it and you're not out of it, but that you know it and you know it for yourself. And Paul says, I know in whom I believe. Why? Turn over to John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and go to verse 24. Those who obey his command live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know. Now he's going to tell you how you know. Paul says, I know in whom I believe. How do you know you really believe? How do you know whom you really believe? See, a lot of people believe, but they don't know really who they believe in. A lot of people believe in Jesus Christ just because somebody told them that. But they're not convinced by it themselves. And the thing about salvation is this. You have to be convinced in and of yourself that Jesus Christ is Savior. Not that you've just done something that somebody told you to do. Because the problem with that, you just do what somebody told you to do. What you did, you pleased somebody else. You didn't really please God. You did something just to please a, a, a grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or a husband or wife. And you came forward. You did it to please man, not God. Those who obey his command live in him and, in, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And if you have not the spirit, according to Romans 8, if you have not the spirit, you're none of his. But it is the spirit that gives you the ability to cry out, Abba, Father. It is the spirit that allows you to know that you're his. And Paul says, I know in whom I have believed and am convinced. Listen to that confidence in 12. In 2 Timothy 1.12. I'm convinced by it. I'm convinced by what I heard, but I'm convinced also by what I have experienced with Jesus. I'm convinced by it. The two go together. What I've heard, what I've experienced. What I've heard, what I've experienced. And he says, I'm convinced by it. That he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. And what Paul entrusted to the Lord was himself. He entrusted his total being, his total life, everything that he is, every important issue in his life, he had entrusted to God and believed that God was more than able to keep him to that day of judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you, O oh God, that you are calling us as a people to be confident in you. 
to recognize that, Lord, you are the one who is able. You are the one who is able to provide for us all that we have need of. And that, Lord, our confidence is in you from the very moment our eyes are open to the time that our eyes close. Our confidence is in you.